It's not hard to find a song about loneliness. Thanks, uh, team, for putting that together for us. I think those songs uh, reflect um, a cultural consciousness of a growing percentage of people that feel lonely. Uh, We are in a day and an age where we are more connected than we've ever been, and yet we increasingly have difficulty being alone without feeling lonely. And if you uh, look on the news, uh, February seems to be this month of addressing this. Um, Someone sent me an article this week, CBC, covering some uh, university challenge, a 29-day challenge to combat loneliness. That's happening right now in the month of February. And you'll see studies going on and on about uh, the increase of people feeling lonely. This past week, we did a new life survey, new life survey on loneliness, and we put it out um, to you in an email, and we put it on uh, social media, and we had a little over 200 responses of people filling out five questions, and I thought it would be interesting to take that survey and compare it with Canadian statistics around loneliness generally. So if we look at Canadians and loneliness, you'll see that one in five people feel lonely, That means in this room, uh, there are approximately, based on this stat, there are approximately 40 of you that are lonely. So basically, this section right here. Um, If you look at this section, I'm getting people to stare at you. That's a lot of people in a room like this to be struggling with a feeling of loneliness. And of course, there are severities to the loneliness that we feel. 28% of Canadians now live alone That has been a trend over the decades that continues to go up. Now, again, there are a variety of reasons for that. Um, Losing partners through death as we age or just starting out young and people getting married or um, having a partner later in life. There are different reasons for that. Studies on loneliness are showing in Canada that it has as much impact on our health as obesity or smoking. In fact, one study shows, and they're saying that... um, People who are struggling with extreme loneliness are the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And so this is relatively new in uh, psychological studies and sociological studies, the impact of loneliness in our culture. Now, this is not Canadian, but it's part of the Commonwealth, so I figured it would be fair to include it. In the UK, if you're not aware of this, Theresa May, before she left office, she appointed a minister to loneliness. They actually created a government position in the UK to combat loneliness in that country. And having lived there uh, for five years, I understand uh, why they would do that. And I would suggest that probably uh, Canada is not that far behind in the trend. And when it comes to loneliness, social media uh, has an impact directly on our loneliness. And so studies have shown that the more time a person spends on social media, the lonelier they feel. And I think we're at a point now where a lot of us know that to be true. Uh, And it's not necessarily being denied. So there's some stats around Canadians and loneliness. Now let's look at the New Life survey. So put up here, this is, uh, we'll show you a number of slides that uh, will just play out how you guys answer these questions. So the first question was around the idea of have you felt lonely in the past 30 days? 
67% of people have felt lonely in the last month who responded to our survey. And this is a very unscientific survey. So if you're a sociologist here right now, uh, I'll just apologize up front. Uh, these are five questions we put together, uh, and we just wanted to kind of capture a little bit ar around um, how we're feeling. So 67% of us have felt lonely in the past month. Uh, the question, no one understands what I'm going through, in the next slide, 20% often feel like nobody understands what they're going through, and 40% of people sometimes feel that way. Of course, we probably could do some work around quantifying that a little bit more. In the next question, from 1 to 10, about how lonely feel, 1 being I feel very lonely, 10 being I don't feel lonely at all, there's some good news. 68% of people are above moderately lonely or not feeling lonely at all. In other words, from 6 to 10, if you look at that graphic, uh, there's quite a lot of people in there. And 40% of you actually are within 8 to 10. So there's some good news in that. The challenging part of that is that 32% of people still feel either moderately lonely from 5 down to 1. Very lonely. So if you were to take that stat, like the Canadian stat is 1 in 5, that's really about 1 in 3.5. So to these 40 people, we might add, you know, 20 people from this section over here. That if we said, like, let's make this, let's make this an image, this is what that looks like. So that means that in this room today, potentially, there are approximately 30% of us that are struggling with some type of feeling lonely whether it's constantly or from time to time. And we just did the age categories because I thought it'd be interesting to see uh, the age categories. Um, the lower ones there from 10 to 20 is reflective of the fact that I don't even know if our teens got the email uh, and we're probably not cool enough to be on their social media feeds. So they may not have got that um, even for the 20 to 30 year olds, but you'll see how that plays out in an age demographic. And then interestingly, we just said, are you male or are you female? And I think it was close to 70%, 68%. Uh, or 67% are female and the rest male in responding to the survey. So just give you a little bit of a taste of in our own midst here um, how we're doing with the whole idea of loneliness. We are becoming a people who cannot be alone without being lonely even though we are more connected than we have ever been. But the idea of loneliness is not a new phenomenon. It's not like sometime in the last 20 years, suddenly everybody started becoming lonely. People have wrestled with loneliness. If you're human, you've probably felt lonely at some point in your life, even if it's only for a fleeting moment. And when you read through the biblical narrative, all these biblical writers that are in this book, you will see lots of references to loneliness. If you read through the book of Psalms, largely attributed to a guy named David, but there are other writers in there. You'll read many psalms. They're often called psalms of lament, but they're often referring to loneliness. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, must I wait for you? Will you turn your face from me forever? Psalm 88, from people called the sons of Korah, and they just talk about feeling rejected. And you hear the loneliness in their voice as you read their poems, and it's quite astounding. I wanted to spend this morning looking at one biblical figure in particular, a guy by the name of Elijah. And if you've grown up in church, you might have grown up with stories of Elijah and some of the things that he did. And we are introduced to this character in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament in a book called 1 Kings. There's 1 Kings, 2 Kings. It's all the history of Israel. 
and it deals with a lot of the kings of Israel. So if you've got your Bible, you could turn to 1 Kings 17. Uh, If you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, you can raise your hand. Our ushers will bring you a Bible that you can use. The table of contents will help you find the book of 1 Kings. And we're going to walk through 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19. Not verse by verse, but we're going to be referring in there throughout the context of our story about Elijah. When we're introduced to Elijah, he just kind of shows up on the scene, and sometimes this happens. There's no real preliminary introductions. It's just things are going along in the nation of Israel, and then boom, Elijah, the Tishbite, uh, confronts the king. And so we're just introduced to him suddenly, and the first time we meet Elijah, he's standing face-to-face with the king of Israel. He's not a very good king, and Elijah's in his face and saying, uh, basically, you need to stop what you're doing. And so here's this lone figure confronting someone that could take his very life. Kind of a lonely place to be. And that's our first introduction to Elijah, is him tackling the head of the nation face to face. And immediately after that, God says to Elijah, I want you to go away and I want you to be alone. So if you follow this verse, um, in verse 2, we read this. The Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by the Kirith Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. And so he meets the king, and then God immediately says, Elijah, I want you to go away by yourself. In fact, I want you to go to a place that is so secluded and remote that you can't even find food. And then God uses ravens to bring food to Elijah. Now, the whole uh, idea around this is is to pick up on the Uh, on the isolation that's taking place or the secluded nature of where he is. And what's interesting in chapter 17 is Elijah is very much alone, but there's no hint of Elijah being lonely. He's alone, but he's not lonely. That'll change as we go through the story. But I want us to pick up on that and see that that actually is possible. Even though you might be asking, how is it possible? We'll talk about that in a couple minutes. He's out there by himself. God moves him on and says, okay, now I want you to leave your country. I want you to go into the neighboring country where people are different than you. No longer with the Jewish or the Hebrew people. Now I want you to go up and to be with non-Jewish, non-Hebrew people uh, in a land called Sidon and uh, a town called Zarephath. And he meets a widow there. And she's actually feeling utterly Uh, alone and dejected and she's preparing the last meal because she figures there's a drought going on we're all going to die I've got enough flour for one meal and Elijah meets up with her and then the two of them kind of do this taking care of each other he through the miracles of God provides so that the flour doesn't run out the oil doesn't run out that they have and then she takes care of him and you see this mutual giving and receiving in this relationship and that ends chapter 17 then in chapter 18 Elijah is instructed to go back to the king that he was confronting before, King Ahab, and challenge him again. And so as you read through chapter 18, you will uh, read about uh, Elijah um, meeting up with his friend Obadiah. Ahab is running around looking for Elijah because he wants to kill him. And then Elijah and his friend Obadiah meet up, and and Elijah says, go tell Ahab that I'm here. And Obadiah says, whoa, yeah, I know what you're doing, because if you're not here and I tell him that you're here, then then I'm toast. 
And Elijah assures him that's not going to happen. And Obadiah gives him some good news. And he says, you're not the only one left. I've been hiding a hundred other prophets just like you in this cave, and I've been taking care of them so that the king and the queen don't get to them. And you can fill in some of the details as you read through chapter 18. And then Elijah meets the king. And what he's confronting is the people have wandered away from their allegiance to God, and they are pursuing things uh, that are, or other gods that they feel are going to fulfill them differently than Yahweh would. And so the biblical writers often refer to these as idols or false gods. And so this one has a name, it's Baal. And so there's all these prophets, these religious people that are leading the people into worshiping Baal instead of worshiping Yahweh. And Elijah says to the king, get all your prophets, bring them here to the mountain, get all the people to come with you, I'll meet you here on the mountain, and we're going to have ourselves a showdown. And you can hear the western music in the background. And so the story has the king and the prophets and the people come and they meet Elijah on the side of this mountain. The mountain's called Mount Carmel. And the showdown takes place. And the prophets of Baal try to summon their God to bring down fire onto this altar and a sacrifice that they had set up as the test. And nothing happens. And as you read the story, it's quite fascinating. You get a a flavor of what Elijah's like because he's taunting them. If you're a Monty Python fan, think French taunter on the walls. Okay? And he's taunting them. Maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe your God's using the toilet. And nothing happens. And then near the end of the day, Elijah calls on God, and God brings down fire, and he consumes the altar. He consumes the meat on it. He consumes the wood. He consumes the water that's in the ditch all around it. And Elijah has this amazing victory. But in the midst of that showdown, you get a hint of Elijah being not alone, And yet a little bit alone, but you begin to see him starting to feel lonely. So if you go to chapter 18, verse 22. Elijah's speaking to all the people and to the the prophets on the side of the mountain. And he says this, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. But Baal has 450 prophets. I am the only prophet who's left. And you get a hint of his loneliness. Because if you remember what I just said, he had met with Obadiah, his friend, his confidant, his colleague, who was on his side. So Elijah, you're already you plus one. But Obadiah says to him, I've got a hundred others, a hundred of your mates I've got in a cave, and I've been taking care of them. And yet, just a little bit later, Elijah's on the side of the mountain saying to everybody, I'm the only one left. And that begins to become a little bit of the voice of loneliness. You can hear that minor diminished note like we heard in the song that the team just did for us. And you need to have it resolved because it just leaves us feeling not right. And we're going to see how that plays out. There is a cycle to loneliness. So um, there is... uh, a man who has studied loneliness, a, a psychologist who has studied loneliness to the degree nobody else has. His name is Dr. John Cassiopo. 
And you can see him on some TED Talks. Uh, you can read his book. It's called Loneliness. Um, and he did it in 2009, so it's still relatively new, and they're still learning some. There's another author by the name of Johan Hari who's been referring to Dr. John Cassiopo. You'll see him on TED Talks. He's written a book called Lost Connections. But Dr. John Cassiopo shows the cycle of loneliness, that when people are struggling with being lonely, they tend to um, pull back. And they sometimes will give um, behavior that uh, is offensive to other people in the way they respond, or they take offense easily when other people are talking to them. And so all of the behavior creates uh, kind of an opportunity for those that are receiving that to just, you know, okay, like, geez, you're kind of having a hard time here. So we pull back, and then that person who's lonely um, pulls back more because of the way that they're being responded to, and the cycle just begins to repeat itself and increase. And he writes this, lonely people are scanning for threats because they unconsciously know that nobody is looking out for them. So no one will help them if they're hurt. And that cycle repeats itself. And I think you begin to see hints of this in the story of Elijah as you're reading through it. And the biblical narrative is giving this, us this wonderful depiction of, of ourselves and showing the truth of humanity in general. And then there begins to be this plot twist. So Isaiah or Elijah is, first he's alone, but he's not lonely. Then he's not alone, and yet alone because he really feels like he's the only one taking on everybody else. But he's starting to feel lonely. And yet he has this incredible victory. So literally, God shows up and, and Elijah's vindicated. And the people actually side with Elijah. And they follow his instructions on what to do next, which is get rid of all these prophets of Baal. And thus ends chapter 18. And in chapter 19, we are introduced to a new character. Her name is Jezebel. She's the queen to the, the wife of the king. She's the queen of Israel. And she finds out about what happened. Obviously, she wasn't there. And they're both in the same town, this town called Jezreel. And she sends word to Elijah, this single lady, uh, may the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I don't do to you what you did to all the prophets. So Elijah's just taken on the nation, all the prophets. God has shown up, this incredible victory. We see a hint of his loneliness. He gets one word from this lady who says, you're dead meat. And what does he do? As you read through John chapter 19, he runs. He flees for his life. Let's, let's follow along the verses here in John 19, verses 3 and 4. Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. How could you go from having this amazing victory to the next instance, you're running because of a single threat? And yet there's hints of his loneliness. Uh, Cassiopo, who does a study, shows that lonely people tend to be more afraid. 
and they tend to be more tired. They've done physiological studies on people who are lonely, and they've done brain scans, and they've done sleep studies, and they actually have shown and proven that people who are lonely do not sleep as well. And he goes into um, a study around evolutionary biology and saying, like, uh, you know, in that cycle, when there's a, uh, um, I want to say a crowd, of, what do you call it? A pack, a pack of animals. The pack mentality is that, that they're watching out for one another. And so when it comes time to rest, there's a sense of being able to rest because the rest of the community, the rest of the pack are alert and ready at your side. And so he's making that argument and then showing the, the scientific studies to show that lonely people don't sleep as well. And then you look at Elijah and you see what he's just been through and you realize he's feeling alone. He's gone through this incredible experience which physically would be demanding and difficult to go through. And he's tired and he gets one threat and he runs. And he runs from the north all the way down to the south. So he's in Jezreel, that's the northern part of the country. And he, and he travels all the way down to a town called Beersheba. And that is the southernmost extremity of the nation of Israel. And you can see what the writer's doing. He's creating this, this imagery for us. And when he gets to the southernmost point, the edges of his people, of his community, he leaves his servant and he walks by himself another day's walk into the wilderness. And we read that he was there under a solitary broom tree. The solitary broom tree, which becomes this image of his loneliness. He fled for his life, and he ends up in the wilderness. He has isolated himself. Why does he go from the north down to the south? What's significant about this town, Beersheba? Well, Beersheba, not only was it the southernmost extremity, so you get the sense that he's basically running away from things. He's isolating himself. But I wonder if, and I, and I know he would have known this, but I wonder if there's something in the fact that Beersheba was a town where other people had gone. When they were there, they had an experience with God. One person was named Hagar. She was actually abandoned and left on her own. And she meets God in Beersheba. Another was Isaac and Jacob. These are kind of like founding fathers of the nation of Israel. And each of them had an experience with God near Beersheba. I wonder if Elijah was hoping for something similar. But I think what we want to pay attention to is the fact that Elijah is isolating himself from his people. He's feeling lonely and his response is to isolate himself. And we all know that isolation is not good for us emotionally and relationally. And if you're not sure about that, just start watching the news and listening to the stories of people who are in those little tiny rooms in the middle of the cruise ships in the South Pacific. Their isolation is going to have a psychological effect on them and not in a healthy way. And what you see here is Elijah isolating himself. He feels lonely, even though he's not alone. The first time we meet him, he's alone, but he's not lonely. Then he's not alone, but he's starting to feel lonely. 
And now he's really lonely, but he's actually not alone. So maybe right here we should pause and ask the question, what is loneliness? What do we mean when we say that somebody is lonely? Or if we would say that I'm feeling lonely. And it's one of those weird kind of concepts because we can identify it instantly. We all know when we feel lonely, and we all can often see someone else who might be feeling and displaying loneliness. But we can't actually give it a nice, tidy description. It's actually defined by a lack of something. So it's like hunger and thirst. How do you describe hunger? Hunger is what we experience when there's a lack of food. And you're like, oh yeah, I get that. Thirst is what we experience when there's a lack of water. Likewise, loneliness is what we experience when there's a lack of social connection. Johann Hari, Dr. John Cassiopo, others would define loneliness as a lack of having uh, meaningful social connection. In other words, there's, this, there's a lack of the mutual giving and receiving in a relationship. Because sometimes what we think, well, if people are lonely, let's just get them out with other people. Come to church on Sunday morning. You'll feel better. No, you won't. Not unless there's meaningful social interaction that is meeting your needs. Have you ever been downtown in a city or in a stadium and you realize like when you're by yourself, you are surrounded by people and it feels really lonely. In this room right now, there are people who are surrounded by the rest of us and they feel lonely. It's not just being with other people. It's not just having people take care of you. Well, we'll just do things for that person because they're lonely. That doesn't help either. Think of somebody in the hospital. They are surrounded by people who are constantly taking care of their needs and yet they feel very lonely. We need a mutual giving and receiving in meaningful relationship to combat the idea of loneliness. And I wonder how much Elijah was wrestling with not having that. But his response was just to isolate himself. And at that point, God does something really cool for him. As God shows up yet again, and he has shown up. Think about his life. He feels, he feels lonely, but he's not alone. The ravens were there to take care of him. The widow was there to take care of him. All of these are, are you can just see God's hand in that. Obadiah meets him and says, you're not alone. There's a hundred other prophets to say you're not alone. And then here, when he isolates himself, by the way, he took his servant with him. There's someone else with him. But then he leaves the servant, isolates himself more, and then God shows up in the form of some angels. And if we read it, verses 5 through um, five through to 6, I think it is, if we put those up. Elijah lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank, and he lay down again. And then the angel invited him into this journey. He basically does this twice and says, you know, get up and eat because the journey's long for you. And we're told that he was invited into a 40-day journey to go from Beersheba, the southernmost part of the nation, and he's invited down to Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. It's about 200 miles, 400 kilometers, roughly. Um, and it, and it, we're told that it took him 40 days and 40 nights to get there on a single meal. 
You might get caught up in all of that, but, but I think the point of that is to pick up on the number 40. Not to spend all your time trying to figure out how a person can eat a single meal and then live for 40 days traveling. It's the number 40 that's significant. Because 40 takes you back to a guy named Moses who spent 40 days and nights on the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. And God helped Moses through an extremely difficult time. 40 is the number of days that the nation of Israel sent spies in to look at this new land that they were going to enter. And then, of course, they didn't trust God. And God said, you're going to wander around for 40 years now learning about who you are and who I am. And in both instances... Moses and the nation of Israel learn about themselves in their solitude. And they learn about their God in their solitude. And instead of isolating himself, God is inviting Elijah into a time of solitude. And there's a big difference between isolation and solitude. And I want to finish um, just by looking at what happens here. Elijah gets down to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai and he stays in a cave. And then we read, we read this. Um, God meets him in verse nine and he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah responds about how zealous he's been, how Israel's broken covenant with God how they've killed all the prophets and he's the only one left. And when you read that, you think, God, you, you might have this idea of God saying to Elijah, like, what are you doing here? And I love this part of the story because God says to him the second, um, after he responds with his self-pity, and isolation does that so well for us. When we isolate ourselves from people, it begins to distort our perception of reality and it heightens our sense of selfishness and self-pity. Solitude does something very different. It gives us a time to reflect. It gives us a time to assess. It gives us a time to be open to receiving about what reality is. And so God says, go out of the cave because I'm going to show myself to you. And then Elijah's in the cave and you read this. There's this huge uh, windstorm that goes ripping by the cave. And then there's this big earthquake and the rocks are rolling down the mountain. And then there's this massive firestorm that goes ripping by. And then there's a gentle whisper. And when Elijah hears the whisper, he goes out of the cave. And God asks him again, Elijah, why are you here? And I love that those images of the windstorm and the earthquake and the fire are there because honestly, I think they represent the images of God that we so often have. When we're beating ourselves up for the way we're feeling and we think, oh, I'm, I'm supposed to be a person of faith. I shouldn't be feeling this way. And we have an image of a God who's an earthquake or a firestorm or a giant hurricane. And we want to keep away from that. And yet here in the story, God says, let me, let me just speak to you in a whisper, in a breath. Why are you here? And that's a question that solitude invites us into when isolation doesn't. Solitude is not running away from your problems. Solitude is intentionally stepping out of the craziness of life 
to sit and to be and to reflect and to say, why am I feeling this way? What's going on here? It's to be open to hearing from God in a variety of different ways. To allow him to speak into our lives. And Elijah realizes quickly that God is with him. And when he has this encounter with God, maybe he begins to realize, I'm not, I'm not as alone as I thought I was. And when he gives the same answer to God, so God asks him twice, why are you here, Elijah? And both times he answers with the same question. So you, you can see this, this is not a perfect scenario. I, I would think the first time God said to me, Paul, why are you here? I'd be like, uh, I don't know. It's God speaking to me. And yet he pleads his case. And then God says to him again, why are you here? And Elijah says the same thing again. They're killing everybody. I'm the only one left. Woe is me. And God says, okay, okay. Well, here's what I want you to do. Get back there. Go back to where you were. And I want you to do this. I want you to serve other people. Anoint Hazael. Anoint Jehu. Anoint Elisha. Go back and serve Johann Hari, who was writing about, um, in his book, Lost Connections, about lost connection with, with meaningful uh, um, uh, relationships. And he has struggled with anxiety and depression all of his life and the feeling of loneliness. He said, the thing that I found is when I, when I was feeling this way, I wanted to isolate and I wanted to hibernate and I wanted to just have my pity parties. But I learned that if I went out and I helped other people, it had a tremendous effect on me. Because it took, the, it took the onus off myself and put it on other people. And he's not advocating, just do that and everything will be better. He's just saying it's one thing that helped. Isolation alienates us. Solitude prepares us for community. Isolation heightens our selfishness. Solitude prepares us to serve. And I think maybe Elijah starts to hear this voice of God saying, I am with you. At least a dozen times in scripture, God says this to people, usually to people who are hurting and who are feeling like life is not great. God says, I am with you. And then, of course, we have that uh, beautiful passage in, that Steve referred to in Matthew 28, verse 20 uh, in the New Testament. Jesus is, is leaving his disciples. He's, he's going to ascend into heaven. And he says to them, you remember this one thing. I am with you to the very end of the age. And I think Elijah needed to see how God was with them. And that time of solitude perhaps was a time of reflecting. To look back to the ravens, to the widow, to Obadiah, to the hundred prophets, to Hazael, to Jehu, to Elisha. And then at the very end, God says, oh yeah, and by the way, Elijah, I've got 7,000 others that are just waiting for you. When he isolated himself, it only misconstrued his perceptions, but it was solitude that allowed him to think more clearly. Henry Nguyen says this about, um, Henry Nguyen is a Catholic priest who, who just wrote some phenomenal stuff around spiritual formation. And he said, 
what we tend to do when we're lonely, um, we distract ourselves. And so we deal with our loneliness through distraction. And now Elijah went running off into the wilderness. Most of us aren't running off into the wilderness, but we have become masters at distraction. Rather than addressing what is going on inside of our hearts, we distract ourselves with our phones and our tablets and our busyness and the noise. We are a people who cannot be alone without being lonely. And the invitation is into solitude instead of isolation. As one way in limiting our loneliness. It's not the only way. But it is one way that might help profoundly. Henry Nguyen writes this in his book, Reaching Out. And I'm thankful. One of our people in our congregation referred me to this book just a week ago. And I had a breeze through it. And he writes this, instead of running away from our loneliness and trying to forget or deny it, we have to protect it and turn it into a fruitful solitude. To live a spiritual life, we must find first the courage to enter into the desert of our loneliness and to change it by gentle and persistent efforts into a garden of solitude. Elijah couldn't be alone without feeling lonely, but solitude allowed him to work through that. And solitude might be one way of limiting our loneliness. Amen. I don't usually do this, but this is only part one uh, of the sermon. And part two is going to be in two weeks. And so this is my shameless plug to invite you to come back in two weeks. Because I just want to finish with this thought. I think, I think the story of Elijah is amazing about the difference between isolation and solitude. And where we all know that God is with us, we still need meaningful social connection. And so it is not enough for us to say to somebody, God is with you. We need mutual giving and receiving in meaningful relationships to combat loneliness. And if there's one community on the face of this planet that, can, that has the equipment and the atmosphere to address that, it's the church. And that's what we'll talk about in two weeks. If you're here today and you're wrestling with loneliness, maybe some solitude is what you need. But I suspect it also means that we need to help make some good social connections. And if you want to talk about that, um, I hang out up here. If there's somebody that you can trust enough just to say to them, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with feeling lonely. Maybe that's that first step. to coming out of that and having some meaningful relationships in your life. I'll leave that with you. I'm going to invite you to pray with me as we finish up our time. I thank you for the image of Jesus who is in the garden and he's praying and he is alone. And he is wrestling with the fact that his friends have abandoned him. And they don't understand what's going on in his life. And at one point, 
he's just simply crying out, God, please take this from me. And he's able to endure through that. And I'm grateful for that, God, for each of us, because it is an image of a God who understands our loneliness. And instead of screaming at us in the storm, offers the gentle whisper, why are you here? As we contemplate entering into solitude with you, I pray that you would speak to us. Lead us through that in a meaningful social connections. Through Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Next week is Family Day. Charlie Mashenter, our national director, will be here. He'll be doing another sermon in this series. And, uh, and then I'll be back the next week to finish up part two of this. Bye for now.